Today's reading comes from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 50. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. And others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our, our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. 
For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your word, for your word uh, tells us, reveals to, to us about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the life that we can have through him. Father, uh, in this world of distractions, we pray that you would help us now to focus on what you're saying to us. Change our minds, change our hearts, that we would be people who would put Christ as first in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, if you love your life, you'll lose it. Uh, But if you hate your life, you'll keep it. Sounds like someone made a typing mistake in the Bible, doesn't it? Because surely, I mean, isn't it better to love your life? I I mean, if if you love your life, you'll you'll take care of yourself, won't you? You'll uh, eat good food, you'll do physical exercise, and uh, you'll keep your life maybe for even longer than if you didn't. But there's no typing mistake here. It's what Jesus actually said. Sometimes uh, he even went further than that, like in Luke chapter 14, for example, uh, where he says this. He says, If anyone does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, don't you? I am a disciple of Jesus and I happen to love my wife and love my kids. I even love my brother and sister, love them dearly. So what is Jesus on about? Why does he say such radical things? If you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you hate your life, you'll keep it. Well, it's actually in today's passage in John chapter 12. Now, if you have a Bible with you, uh, everyone here in church does, but if you've got one at home, it'd be great to have that open up at John chapter 12, uh, because uh, that's where we find this verse uh, in Scripture. Uh, last week, we focused on the first half of John, of John chapter 12. You might remember the scene. It was the Passover, and Jerusalem was just bustling with people. It was packed with people. And Jesus was about to enter the city of Jerusalem riding on the back of a, who can tell me, a a donkey, riding on the back of a donkey. There was a great crowd, probably thousands of people were surrounding Jesus as they waved their uh, palm branches and as they shouted Hosanna, as they worshipped Jesus as the coming king. What a moment, what a triumph, what a victory, but not according to Jesus. Have a look at what Jesus says in verse 20. Uh, It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, 
with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Jesus, Andrew and, uh, to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So suddenly what we have here is that there are some Greeks who've arrived on the scene. There are Greeks who've come to celebrate the Passover. Uh, Gentiles, they are non-Jews, and they want to see Jesus. So why did they approach Philip if they wanted to see Jesus? Well, it might be because Philip, uh, perhaps uh, they came from a a Gentile area which was not far from where uh, Philip came from in uh, Bethsaida. Or perhaps they went to Philip because Philip had a... Philip's a Greek name. It actually means lover of horses. Whatever the case, as Gentiles, they did not presume that Jesus would want to speak with them. But friends... Can you think of another time, another important time in Jesus' life when Gentiles travelled a long way in order to see him? Can you think of a time? How about at his birth? Well, now is the time for his death. Uh, throughout John's Gospel, we, have, um, we keep hearing that um, about the hour of Jesus. We keep on hearing that uh, Jesus' hour or Jesus' time has not yet come. Um, think about it. Remember uh, when his mother wanted uh, Jesus to miraculously restock the wine that had run out at the wedding? Do you remember that? In Cana of Galilee. And Jesus said to his mum, my hour has not yet come. All of the times uh, when the Jews kept on failing to uh, be able to kill Jesus uh, up to this point, uh, we keep on being told that it was because his time had not yet come. But now, with the arrival of these Gentiles, Jesus says in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, the crowds... Uh, they thought that Jesus' glory meant a victory over the Romans. And yet Jesus speaks of his death. Verse 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, I I don't know very much about agriculture, but I understand that in agriculture, death often leads to life. Uh, When a kernel of wheat dies and it falls to the ground, it it opens up and new seeds begin to grow so that the death of the one leads to the life of many, as it is with the death of Jesus. Jesus. But how does his death bring life? Uh, One year, I remember, it was Good Friday. And uh, we had some friends here in church for the Good Friday service. And after the Good Friday service, uh, these non-Christian friends uh, had a question for me. Uh, They said to me, Scott, if if Good Friday uh, is the day that Jesus died then why isn't it called Bad Friday or Dreadful Friday 
or Terrible Friday? Which I thought is an excellent question, don't you? See what Jesus says in verse 31. Now is the time for the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Notice that Satan here is referred to as the prince of this world. Why is that? A prince is someone who has power. Satan had power. Power over you and me. You see, Satan is the great con man. For what does he promise? The promise that Satan gives is the promise of life. He promises life. He promises that your life will somehow be um, better, that your life will somehow be freer, that your life will somehow be more satisfying, more fulfilling, more... If you only just ignore God and live how you think is best, he promises life. But what he delivers is the problems and the frustrations and the tensions and the conflicts and everything that is bad which goes with living our way when we should be living our creator's way. Even worse, we now deserve judgment. Satan loves that. You see, that's his trick. The guilt of our sin is the power that he had over us as prince of this world But when Jesus was lifted up on the cross to die, what did he do to Satan's power? He took it away by paying the punishment which we deserved in our place. So that God can now forgive us of our sin and give us life which is eternal. Like a kernel of wheat, Jesus died so that many people, people like us, people like you, people like me, can actually come to life, be born again and enjoy eternal life. So that's the message. But yet in verse 34, the crowd was still confused. You see, as Jews, their enemy was the Romans uh, who ruled over them. But the arrival of these Greeks, these Gentiles, tells us that Jesus would not just save the Jews, but that Jesus would be the saviour of all people. Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, all people. And he would save people not from the Romans, but from the real enemy, the prince of this world. Now, in John's Gospel... Jesus has made some audacious claims about himself. But these are claims which he has backed up with evidence. He has backed up with miracles. He turned water into wine. He healed the sick, the blind, the lame, the crippled. He fed thousands and thousands of people out of nothing. He walked on water. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And yet in verse 34, people are still asking questions. But the time for avoiding the obvious is over, as is the time for answering questions. And so in verse 36, Jesus simply challenges them, 
Put your trust in the light while you still have it so that you may become sons of light. And then he leaves them and the crowd is split. You see, friends, in this Passover crowd, there are two different responses to Jesus. Uh, Firstly, in verses 37 to 41, there there are those who had witnessed the miracles. They had seen everything that had been done through Jesus. They were eyewitnesses, but they simply refused to believe in him. And that was no surprise to God. In fact, it was prophesied 800 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, This, if you have a look at verse 38, uh, this unbelief in the face of of evidence was, as John says from Isaiah, to fulfil the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Now, in Isaiah's day, this verse uh, was an expression of the astonishment that God had so revealed himself to Israel through his wondrous works, and yet they rejected God's servant. But ultimately, it points us towards these Jews' rejection of Jesus. The miracles reveal who Jesus is and yet they reject the claims that he makes about himself. Now John then explains their reaction, uh, or this reaction of rejection from Isaiah chapter 6 and we see this in verse 39 where it says, for this reason they could not, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, Isaiah chapter 6, he, that is God, has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, what does this mean? I mean, on the surface, it sounds like God is being a bit unjust, doesn't it? That God has blinded uh, Israel, that God has deadened their hearts. Is God unjust? No. God doesn't play with people's lives like that. Uh, when, uh, when uh, When Isaiah prophesied 800 years earlier... Israel's sin was so stubborn that uh, God's punishment was exile in Babylon and it was necessary judgment which ultimately led to God saving a remnant from Israel. And here in verse 41, Isaiah was actually speaking about Jesus. You see, it was not unjust for God to deaden their hearts Their sin was already there. They were already rejecting God. God merely gave them over to their sinful desires. And it was necessary. For in his sovereignty, God even uses the sinfulness of, of mankind 
to bring about his ultimate good, to bring about his salvation. For had Jesus not been nailed to a cross, he would not have paid for our sin and Satan would still be the prince of this world. That's the first response to Jesus. Now, the second response to Jesus is in verses 42 and following. Let me pick it up at verse 42. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. How about that? There were leaders amongst the Jews who actually believed in Jesus. Uh, You might be able to think of uh, some of them. Nicodemus would be an example of that. Uh, He spoke up for Jesus in the Sanhedrin, but it seems that at this point uh, he was not prepared to um, go further than that. Perhaps he may have after the resurrection because we're told in Acts that there were a whole bunch of leaders who came to believe in Jesus and after they experienced the new life that comes through the resurrection. Now, often when people become Christians, they just want to tell the world about Jesus, don't they? And that shouldn't stop. That should never stop. As Christians, if we are Christians, we should always be bubbling over, uh, wanting to share the good news to others about Jesus. Uh, We should always be doing that. But here, these Jews who believed in Jesus preferred to keep their mouths shut. Why was that? Well, the Pharisees had issued a threat, hadn't they? They'd said, if anyone believes in Jesus, we're going to kick them out of the synagogue. And for a Jew, that's a pretty big deal to be kicked out of the synagogue. Um, Remember the man who was born blind, who Jesus healed? Uh, Why did his parents refuse to tell the Pharisees that it was Jesus who healed their son? Well, it was because they wanted to keep their membership ticket of the synagogue. Mind you, the son who'd been blind and now could see, he had no qualms about telling everyone about the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is, is it okay to believe in Jesus but not be prepared to be kicked out of the synagogue, to not be prepared to suffer for the name of Christ. On occasions, we personally may face this particular issue because we live in a world where people turn their back on God, where people reject God. We live and work amongst people who do not believe in Jesus What's it like for you at work or amongst your family or at your school or your university? When people find out that you're a Christian, do they sometimes treat you a little bit differently? Uh, uh, Sometimes it's easier to stay quiet, isn't it? Of course, uh, for some Christians, the stakes are much higher than that. Uh, Christians uh, from Muslim backgrounds uh, can be cut off from their families or even worse, uh, they can be killed simply because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember uh, seeing an interview with an elderly Christian man 
uh, in China. And this man had spent 20 years in a prison, and I don't imagine Chinese prisons are five-star, 20 years in a prison simply because he was a Christian pastor. When he got out after 20 years, they wanted him to uh, sign a declaration. But this declaration uh, compromised his faith in Jesus. And so he refused to sign it knowing that he would go straight back to prison. That's big, isn't it? Why would he do so? Well, what does it mean to truly have life? Well, Jesus says if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you hate your life, you'll keep it for all of eternity. One of my favourite TV shows is... um, Do you know that one uh, where they have a panel of um, advertising gurus and... uh, What's it called? Gruen, Gruen Trans. Is it still on TV? Maybe so. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's a good. I, I like it because they they uh, they explain television uh, advertising campaigns. They analyse the TV ad campaigns and explain why they work, why they don't work, and how they're manipulating us and all of that sort of thing. Um, in one episode, which is interesting because it's on ABC, which doesn't air any commercials uh, advertising. But in one episode, they featured TV ads done by churches. And what I noticed was that most of the ads were about how to improve yourself and how to live a happy, satisfying, fulfilled life now without mentioning the death of Jesus or the challenges of the Christian faith and the Christian life. There are, of course, huge benefits in living the Christian life. Um, Frankly, if you live God's way, you may be healthier. You may live longer. Or you may not. You may suffer. You may be persecuted. For if we are clear about the gospel, and if we are consistent in honouring God then not everyone's going to be thrilled by that. And we may find ourselves being ridiculed at school or shunned in the workplace, even rejected by our own family. It's more comfortable sometimes just to keep your mouth shut, isn't it? And sometimes there is a case for not casting your pearls before swine. But the question is, whose praise are we seeking? Whose praise do we love? The fleeting praise of men who will admire us when we live like those who do not know God, who admire us when we're living the dreams that they share, the dreams of this world, having an acceptable faith, which isn't too hot for Jesus, a lukewarm, passive kind of quiet faith as if that is true life? Or do we love the praise of God, being clear about what we believe, committing our lives fully to Jesus 
because Jesus committed his life fully to us. That we may indeed enjoy the true life which he gives forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus that uh, like a kernel of wheat that fell to the ground in death, that through his death comes life for all who trust in him. Father, we do pray for ourselves that we would understand what life is truly about, that it's not about serving ourselves, it's not about being mastered by the prince of this world, but rather giving up of ourselves for Jesus, giving up of ourselves uh, for the sake of spreading his kingdom and bringing glory to you. We pray this in his name. Amen.